0: The one Praise the, the darkness the with a light. <makes> Praise the one who the, the <makes> into sight. Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today continues our study in the book of Genesis with chapter 7. Then Yahweh said to Noah, go into the ark you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that Yahweh had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, Japheth, And Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and Yahweh shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth, that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed upon the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, and whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is the word of the Lord. Yesterday we saw God command Noah to build the ark. Today we see that the ark is finished and Noah gets aboard and the flood begins. God's judgment comes upon his creation. So God instructs Noah to go into the ark to take his family with him because he is righteous before God in this generation. We got to talk about that yesterday. Similar words were spoken in chapter 6. Note the contrast in this generation. The rest of the people don't have faith. Noah stands apart from them. He's different than they are. He trusts in the Lord, and that's the righteous part. Again, Genesis 15, that Abraham believed, and God counted it to him as righteousness. It's not Noah's work. It's Noah's faith that is being counted here. Although, then look what that faith does. Verse 5, Noah did all that Yahweh commanded him. Just as yesterday ended, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So we do. I quoted Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 yesterday. The idea that we are saved by grace through faith, that it's not our own doing, it's the gift of God. We usually leave off verse 10 from that statement. So, it's not a result of works, no one may boast. Verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by how many good deeds we do. But that doesn't mean we're not called to do good works. God wants us to be part of his family, and he wants us to help him care for his creation. He's made good works for us to do, he's prepared them in advance that we would walk in them. It's a beautiful phrase. Um, go and serve the Lord and do what he's giving us to do. And this is what we see Noah do here in the text. Now, we kind of picked on the children's story yesterday. Picking on it a little bit more today is that there's a detail here in this first paragraph that I think most Christians today aren't aware of. How many animals went on the ark? Of the clean animals, why were there more of them? So it's not just two of every kind. Of the unclean animals, yes, it's just two, male and female, that they may reproduce and repopulate the earth again. But of the clean animals, which includes all the birds in this statement as well, seven pairs, 14 of each, not just two. Again, not our childhood story that we're used to hearing but you might ask your children, why do you think there were more of the clean animals that went on the ark? The answer to this is really quite simple. We're going to see Noah, when he gets off the ark, he's going to make a sacrifice to God using an animal. Imagine if he only had two sheep on the ark. He comes off the ark, he sacrifices one of them. What just happened to sheep kind? They're done. Or if Noah and his wife get off the ark and they decide to kill a deer in order to have a nice meal of meat, which God is going to bless them to eat meat in Genesis 9, what happened to deer kind? They're gone. So seven pairs of all the clean animals that could be used for sacrifices and used for food for mankind so that they can reproduce faster more numerous upon the earth as men would then begin to use them for worship and for food that's the picture here in 7 days i will send rain on the earth 40 days 40 nights blotting out every living thing that i have made god's judgment comes 40 days Forty nights. This is a period of trial testing is the way the number 40 often ends up getting used in Scripture. The wilderness wandering of Israel in the wilderness as they left Egypt. Jesus in the wilderness as he's tempted by the devil. Those are a couple of the the significant 40s, and and this one's the other. There are more 40s in Scripture, certainly, uh, but these are the most prominent of them. Time of trial for Noah and his family as they weather the storm aboard this boat. Now, one thing that I don't think we've mentioned before, my rough estimates here, my dates in the Old Testament, 4762 B.C. would be the point of creation. The flood would occur by those those standards then in 3106 B.C., so 1,656 years after creation has occurred. How many people do you think were on the earth at this time? As you picture the account of the flood, how many people do you picture God destroying in the flood? That's a question I don't think we often think about. Now, let me, let me share with you some numbers. If each couplet, man and wife, had three children over these ten generations, so on average, That would give you 355 people on the earth at that time. So only 247 killed by the flood. I'm leaving room for like 15% of each generation to die in any given generation's time. It's probably too much. It probably should be shrunk because they lived longer. We'll come back to that. We'll just jump ahead a couple. If it's 5, that's 23,000. If we go to 8, it's 1.3 million. If we go to 10 kids per couplet, it's 9.4 million. If we go to 12, 46.9 million. I'm going to throw one more at you that's going to sound ridiculous. 24 would give you 22.2 billion people on the earth at the time. So you could actually probably pull that back to 23 or 22 to get the earth's population today. Now you'll think, that's ridiculous for one one husband and wife to have that many children. Let me pause and ask you, is it? Is it? Today, yes, it would be. Our fertility years for women are, (laughs) we cut into that, they're early teens through mid-30s. That's the window. And we don't even start having children in our society until you're like 30. Today is the average age. We're getting close to 30. It's like 27 point something. So you have a kid every couple of years because they tell you to wait. Well... Yeah, you're only going to have a couple kids. But we're imposing our view, worldview back on them, and they didn't have that issue. They didn't live the length of lives that we lived. The majority of men in these first ten generations in the Bible lived over 900 years. So imagine your lifespan right? Uh, We'll just, we'll go with easy math. We'll go with 100, which is too long. Theirs was 900. So take your average window and just draw it out, times it by nine. If our average window for fertility is only 20 years, theirs was 180 years. Imagine how many times you could have sex with your spouse if you had 800 years of marriage it's a lot more. It's going to produce a lot more kids. That's simple thinking right there. It's not that difficult. In fact, every single man in that list of ten, okay, not Noah, it's not mentioned of Noah in chapter 5, every other man in the list of ten, though, it was said at the end of the account after telling us who their son was that we're tracing the lineage of Jesus through, that they had other sons and daughters, both plural, so that means at least two more sons, at least two daughters, plus the son of the inheritance of Jesus. That's at least five children born to each of those men. At least. So why did I go with the number 24 as the last final jump there? That would be, if we're splitting at 50-50 boys and girls, on average, that would give you 12 sons per household. It might remind you of Jacob, Israel, the 12 sons of Israel who go on to become the nation of God's people later on in Scripture. It's really it's really not that outlandish to think of. And also, another thing to consider is they weren't as broken as we are. Positing here again, remember, evolution says we're getting better. Creation's view says things are getting worse, the biblical view of things, including 2 Timothy 3, which says evil people go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived our DNA is not healing it's only fracturing more we likely see more disease and more troubles today than the generations did then and fertility as well is probably more broken today than it was then so lots of things to consider I don't think we normally ponder how many people are wiped out in this judgment but it could have been billions it really could have It could have been an earth as populated as it is today. And it's not that far-fetched to draw out the scenario that would make that happen. So Noah's 600 years old when the flood comes. He was 500 years old at the birth of the three boys. That means that the ark took less than 100 years to build, probably less than 80, less than 70, something like that. Hard to know how old his sons are. They're old enough that they're married. So that would shorten that time probably. It could come closer even maybe say 50, but it's all guesswork. We're never told just how long it takes Noah to build the ark. But his family gets aboard. All the animals are brought aboard the ark as well. And as God said, after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. So verse 11, a bit of a backtrack. 600 year, second month, 17th day. God describes what happened. The fountains of the great deep burst forth. The windows of the heavens were opened. I'm going to take you here back to Genesis chapter 1 as a key text for us to ponder as we look at this, this account. So remember the second day of creation. Maybe you can have your kids tell you what happened on the second day of creation before you read it. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. God saw. God called the expanse heaven. There was evening and there was morning the second day. Notice in the picture of creation from Genesis 1, you have the heavens, which is the sky as we know it, sky above, when you see the birds flying above you in the sky, and the clouds and whatnot. That's the heavens. There's water gathered under it, and there's also water above it. This led us to talk about the bubble theory idea. Uh, back in chapter 1, the idea that there was an entire layer of water that surrounded the earth. that gave the earth a very different atmosphere, which might in- include why the people live so much longer than we live today, and so forth. The, the thing that gives that Credibility, other than Genesis 1, is again here in Genesis 7. Now the windows of the heavens were opened. So if there was that different atmosphere, if there was that layer of water still surrounding the earth, in the flood it comes crashing down. That seems very plausible when we actually look at how much water is on the earth at that point, that it's going to cover even the tallest mountain on the earth by 15 cubits, which is 22 and a half feet. That's a lot of water. Where did it come from? Where did it go is another interesting question. Certainly the idea that the mist that God used to water the springs from underneath the earth, under the ground, Genesis chapter 2 talks about those in verse 16, and then the idea of water from above as well coming crashing down. You've got two different sources, and they just they start gushing. They break forth, burst forth. And there's just a, a torrential amount of water coming from below and above. It's an incredible picture, a terrifying picture, really, of God's judgment upon the earth. So I do, I, I hold to the bubble theory, not to the point of saying uh, certainly that it's a, a must believe doctrine, but it just makes sense from what is detailed for us in Scripture. The other neat thing to ponder with the bubble theory, too. Is the idea of rain this is the first time it's mentioned in scripture that it has rained had it rained before we don't know the answer to that question but it would make sense of where the water goes after the flood that some of it evaporates into the sky creating the storms and cloud cycles that we're used to today could be don't know another thing to ask your kids about what did the other people think about Noah building this ark it's worth pondering how Noah shared God's word with others. We can, I think we can safely assume that he did, but it is still an assumption. The Bible doesn't actually say it. The closest that we'll get to is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet, as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Is it the building of the ark that condemns the world? Or is it the speaking of God's law that condemns the world? We I think we'd go with the latter, but it's not a straightforward, it's not an easy, crystal clear, like, this is what happened picture. But you can almost envision Noah building an ark, the people thinking he's nuts, as he tells them about God's judgment that's been pending And it becomes even worse, even crazier if it's never rained before. When he tells them that God's going to send rain on the earth, and flood it all—certainly possible, um, but we don't know. So it's going to rain again, forty days, forty nights. God shuts them in. Verse sixteen. The importance of that phrase is it's the it's the finality. It's closure, literally. Um, No more time for repentance. At this point, if you're not on the ark, you're done. You've been judged. Now, again, this relies on the idea that Noah preached, that he shared that good news of salvation aboard the ark, that you could be saved, but nobody listened. It would be a good time to ask your children the question, how does the flood connect to God saving us? Just as Noah had this open invitation for people to come aboard the ark, perhaps. There's an open invitation for people to come into the ark that is the church today. Now, notice this next time you walk into your church. If it's a traditional style of architecture, it's an upside-down boat. We don't actually call it the sanctuary. Where we sit for worship is technically called the nave, which refers to the hull of a ship. And it looks like an upside down hull of a ship. It's the ark of God's salvation for us is the church where we come into contact with his word, the preaching of his word, faithful, the forgiveness of sins through the sacraments. We come to baptism. We come to the Lord's Supper. We're strengthened. We're preserved inside this ark in the midst of the dangers and evil of this wicked world of violence all around us to connect it to some of the stuff we've heard here in Genesis 6 and 7 we also have 1 Peter 3 where God says through Peter that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared so I'm going to correct myself, that's the closest we get to preaching for Noah in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism now saves you, just as the ark saved Noah and his family. Baptism saved by water. The ark saved by water. The connection Peter makes there is tremendous. So, water covers the earth, top to bottom, Highest mountain, 22 and a half feet deep. No one can survive. No one does survive. Only the eight. Noah and his family. Preserved aboard the ark. God's salvation for his faithful remnant. It makes sense as you look at the final verse, verse 24, that the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. That would include the 40 days and 40 nights of rain. I mean, you think of the destruction that they're bringing on the first day, and even the 17th day and whatever. That's prevailing upon the earth. The water remains such 150 days. We'll learn tomorrow in chapter 8, verse 4, that after these five months, 150 days, the ark lands upon the top of a mountain. Let us praise the Lord Christ your Son. died and rose victorious that we may know God by grace let us sing